So here we are. We got these this uh, this chiastic form, and we'll see in verses five and six. He's going to talk about these deceivers, and he tells them to watch. Then he's going to talk about these international wars, and he says, "When you hear about these things." And then the middle of the chiastic is the persecution of Christians because this is a focus to the people that he's writing. And he's going to tell them to watch. And then all of a sudden he's going to talk about more wars, war in Judah. And instead of saying when you hear, he says when you see these things. And then he comes back as the way he started, there will be deceivers and he tells them again to watch. Okay? So that's kind of how this thing is all going to break down. So let's go ahead and get started. Somebody read for us the first four verses. Okay, so Jesus leaves the temple and he goes over to the Mount of Olives. He's been here before, right? Here's, this is kind of an overlook of, of Jerusalem today. And so he's, he's back over there. And one of the disciples says something interesting. As, as they're, they're leaving the temple, they can still see it. They're there at it. What does he say? He's in awe, Right? He's in awe of this, this magnificent, and it was, this magnificent um, buildings that made up the temple complex. And this is the way the disciples would have felt about it. This is the way the Jews felt about it. Now, we're going to hear from some of the historians over the course of today uh, because they wrote about what was happening during this particular time. We've talked about Josephus several times. He's a Jewish historian in the time of Christ, and he described its grandeur this way. Now the outward face of the temple was covered all over with plates of gold and great weight, and its first uh, rising of the sun reflected back in fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away just as they would have done as the sun's own rays. But the temple appeared to strangers, when they were at a distance, like a mountain covered with snow, exceedingly white, of its stone, some of them were 45 cubits, at 65 feet in length, 7 feet in height, and 9 feet in breadth. And so the majestic uh, scene here just mesmerized these disciples and, and everything, and they felt a sense of security. Why did they feel a sense of security with the temple? This is, this is where God dwells, right? God's not going to destroy this beautiful facility. I mean, we've, we've built him something here magnificent. He's not going to do this. And Jesus isn't buying it, is he? He's just not buying it. He wants them, the disciples, to see through all these, these flashy trappings. And, and they still don't see that the temple's barrenness is like the fig tree. It's a barren place. Remember him talking about the fig tree before? They don't see that the leaders of this temple are going are to try to, they're, they're already trying to kill Jesus, and they're not getting that these same leaders are then going to turn on them. They're just, they're just not getting all of this. But, but Jesus says destruction is coming. Destruction is coming because God no longer blesses this place. And when it happens, Josephus tells us that Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled. Listen to this. 
so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors believing that it had never been inhabited. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, it shocks them, right? And they got some questions. And I put the questions up on the board. And, and, and this is very important because this is what drives Mark 13. A lot of people have, have come to this and they've tried, I mean, they've made all kinds of crazy stuff out of this. But the questions are, when will these things, when he says these things, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. Isn't that what he's talking about? He just, he just said these things are going to happen. And then Jesus, and then they ask, well, then when will these things happen? And the other one is, what will be the sign of Jesus' return? What will be the sign of the end? Because they believe that when the temple's gone, that there's no way. If the temple's gone, then this, this new thing will have happened. And they're thinking in terms of eschatological end times is, is what we would say. And this comes right out of Daniel. Shocker. A lot of stuff's going to come out of Daniel. Um, and even ask, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders, right? Matthew parallels our text. And it helps us to see a little bit more. He says, tell us when these things, uh, when these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, my translation of Mark says, when will, be, when will this be accomplished? When will this be um, put into effect? So they saw the destruction of the temple as a sign of the end. Okay? Now get that, because it's going to be very important as Jesus continues to talk about these things. All right, so where are they now? They leave the temple, and where do they go? To what? The Mount of Olives. We've been here before, right? We've seen this before. It's 300 feet above Jerusalem. Uh, note the wording here in verse 3. It says, Jesus is sitting opposite of the temple. Have we heard any, any phraseology like this from last week? Yeah. Jesus, in the, t in the court of women, he sat on the opposite of the treasury. It was there, and he's showing through this widow, based on what he had just said, that the scribes are judged. They're condemned for the way they, they are. And here, Jesus is opposite of the temple, and he's, once again, he's pronouncing judgment. And, and so, this is intentional. This is intentional. And, and we've mentioned this before, the Mount of Olives is very important when it comes to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And as it speaks to it, God goes to the Mount of Olives. Okay? This language is all here. He goes, he leaves the temple. He leaves it. And then he comes here. Okay, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Somebody read for us verses 5 through 8. Okay, so Jesus is instructing his disciples. This is so important as you're listening to this. We're gonna, this is where we're going to hit in our sermon this morning. Jesus is instructing them on how to live their life during these times. How to live in times of crisis and chaos. When all these things break out, okay? 
And he says there's going to be, in these times, there's going to be false messiahs and prophets that are going to rise up. And they're going to try to lead you astray. Josephus wrote about the Jewish revolt. I know that's hard for you to see, but that's kind of the, the undertaking of the Jewish revolt. It lasted from 66 to 70 A.D. It was a threat to the Roman rule. Um, in 68, Nero dies. He actually commits suicide. And so they kind of had to leave this, this whole siege be for a little bit because they took, Rome tried to take like three different attempts to try to stabilize the leadership of Rome at that particular time. Vespasian, who was in charge of the siege, eventually is, is pronounced the ruler. And that's at like December of 69 AD. And so he has his son take over the campaign and he wants him to destroy it. The siege begins in April of 70 AD and it's finally in August of 70 AD they destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. Okay? So there is this, all of this stuff uh, is going on. And the Jews hoped that the Messiah would come during this time, during the time in which there is this great threat upon the temple and upon Jerusalem. But guess what? It didn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Because Jesus said it's not going to happen, right? He's saying, listen, God has abandoned this place. He's abandoned this place. Another key term that we see in this text in Mark 13, uh, oh, and this is the siege itself by Titus, um, and, and they, would, they destroyed the temple and they just brought it to its ruins. It was a way for Rome to break their morale. It was a way for them to say, this is your greatest pride and joy. This is your God. We just destroyed it. Don't you mess with us. Okay? You just need to understand that. Now, another big word here is sign, right? Signs are things that we say are going to happen. Signs are things that maybe, you know, it's like we, okay, we're in the present and this sign has shown up as to, that this is, going, this is happening, but Jesus warns them in this text. Remember, what do they want to know? The second question, what will be the sign? What will be the sign that's the end of the world? And Jesus says very specifically in this text, I'm not telling you. Um, and what he says is, he warns them, because signs deceive. They lead people astray. If you're looking for certain signs, then, then it's, and someone steps up and says, oh, it's the end of the world. These are the signs of the times. Then what are people going to do? Oh, yeah, they're right. And we see this in our world today, don't we? Yes, we're, we, and then we gravitate to these folks. And so they're going to be those, according to verse 6, who are going to claim to even be the Messiah. They're going to say, I am he. They take the very div divine name of God. And in verse 7, Jesus just spells it out, right? He says, it's not the end. It's not the end. He says, be watchful. Make sure no one deceives you during this time to say, oh, this is the end. Come follow me because I'm, I'm going to help you during this time. And it's going to create even, even more problems. So Jesus is telling them, don't do it. In the years preceding the Jewish revolt, folks, there were all kinds of things that were happening. There were all kinds of false messiahs uh, who rose up. In the mid-40s, we can actually read about uh, Theodos in Acts chapter 5. 
And this guy rose up, and, and he, wants, uh, he tells these people who are his followers, leave everything behind, pack up what you got, follow me to the Jordan River. He even said he's, he's going to split the Jordan River. The Romans go out there, send soldiers, and they, they squash them. There's the sons of Judas in 46 AD. They tried to, to lead a revolt. This guy said he was the great leader of God, and that was squashed. An Egyptian... Also, we read about in Acts chapter 21. This is another one later on in uh, the mid-60s. There's somebody between 64 and 66 A.D. And he's risen up. And he's saying that he is this leader. And then Josephus tells us about many unnamed imposters. And Josephus has all of these things in his historical records uh, as well. So here in the text, he says, listen, you're going to hear the, about these international uh, affairs that are happening, these international crises that are going on. He says these are not the signs. And folks, look, leading up to this, they would have heard the wars of Parthia in 36 AD. They would have heard about the war definitely between Antipas and King uh, Aratus. You remember, you remember us talking about them, John the baptizer, he ends up getting killed because of, of, of Antipas and he stole this Eratus is the one who was with uh, Queen um, uh, Herodias, Herodias and all this kind of stuff. Then there is the fear of war with Caligula because Caligula, it was said that he was going to set up a statue of himself in the temple of God. Ends up it was nothing but rumors, but they, they thought they were fixing to be on the verge of war. There was famine, famine between 41 and, and 54 A.D., you can read about it also in Scripture. There were earthquakes, earthquakes in Phrygia, that was in 64 A.D. There was an earthquake in Pompeii, it just leveled the place in 63 A.D. All of this is leading up to the destruction of the temple. And he's saying, listen, you're going to hear these things. These are not signs that it's the end. And so he's just, he don't get sucked in by these guys that are going to say it's the end of the world. This is the end of times. And it isn't the end. What does he say it is, though, in verse 8? It's the beginning. It's the beginning of birth pains. Sorry, ladies, but that's what he gives here. Because it's a metaphor of great suffering. And it was often used... Shocker, in the Old Testament time, to speak of cities and nations that would, um, that would endure judgment and suffering, including Jerusalem. These two are about Jerusalem. And it talks about the, the pains of a woman in labor. So, notice what he's saying. He says, watch out. Don't get sucked into this stuff. All right, let's keep going. Verses 9 through 13. Okay, okay, is, is these things, is, and, and all of these things that are happening, is, does it obstruct the kingdom of God? No, look at it. He says it's going to provide unique opportunities in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. You see that? So the, temple's not, the temple will not be destroyed. Listen to this. So important because you realize Jesus is absolutely telling the truth. He's prophesying truth. And he says the temple's not going to be destroyed until the gospel of Jesus, 
goes beyond Israel. Did it go beyond Israel, what he says first? Did it? Before the destruction of Jerusalem? Did, did the gospel, was it taken? How? Do what? Yeah, ran them out of the area. What else? Give you a hint. Comes from the book of Acts. Book of Acts is a, it's just a continuing commentary. You realize that, right? It's a continuing commentary of what Jesus is talking about. You ever heard of Paul's missionary journeys? Folks, by 57 AD, okay, the revolt starts in 66. By 57 AD, Paul has completed the first three. And then we know he's taken to Rome. Were there Christians in Rome before he got there? Yeah. That's the, book, the book of Romans was written to the Christians in Rome before Paul ever got there. The, the gospel's being spread, folks. It's going all over the world. And the, and the temple has not even been destroyed. If you go to the end of the book of Acts, you realize, if you remember, Paul goes to the temple. So the temple is still happening. So the book of Acts is just this running commentary of what Jesus is talking about here. And what we find is that the, the church is multiplying and it is also being persecuted at the same time. Right? Um, and what does he say in this text? He says there's going to be Jewish brethren. Your own Jewish brethren are going to turn you in. Your own family members, they're going to turn you in. They're going to bring you before the religious and the secular authorities, and they're going to turn you over to them, right? They're going to be put on trial. Now, who burned Rome in 64 AD? I know some of y'all were there, not all of us. Nero, remember that? Nero, Nero burned Rome. Did he, take, um, did he take blame for it? No. Who did he blame? He blamed the Christians. Tacitus, who was a Roman historian at the time of Nero, um, he referred to the Christians as a class hated for their abominations by the populace. What was their abomination? Do what? Yeah, yeah, their gods. They didn't believe in their gods. And even, even more so, they were devoted to the name of Christ. They were devoted to Christ. That was, their, that was their abomination. Isn't that crazy? Even family members turn on them, and we don't know um, if it was because they hated the gospel. No doubt some of them would have. Some of them uh, probably were just trying to escape persecution of their own. Um. And, and this turning people in was even happening within the church. Uh, Tacitus, again, he writes about some of these Christians who were arrested, and then they informed on other Christians for their own arrest, no doubt to try to get something of a lighter sentence or whatever it may be. And, and even that was happening. And what is Jesus saying in this text? Listen, endure. Endure. A lot of bad stuff are going to happen. And understand that loyalty to Christ is repulsive to the world. Do y'all know that? It's repulsive to our world. And we'll talk more about that in, in the sermon. 
but even though the world is repulsed by it, it gave them opportunity to speak the name of Christ to kings and rulers, people in authority. Do we have any record of that happening? How about the Apostle Paul? <laughs> the Apostle Paul. And, and did you catch something else that it said there? Don't worry about it if you're brought before trial. You don't even have to go into the jail library and study up on the law books to defend yourself. What does he say? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is going to give you what to say. Another passage, Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Now, did it mean they were going to be freed? No. But he says, don't worry about when you go in there. You're, you're going, the comforter is with you. He's with you. And they suffered with Christ. Jesus is about to be betrayed. He is handed over to the Sanhedrin. He will be brought before the governor. He will be a victim of false testimony. He will be mocked and he will be killed. And the Apostle Peter will later write, Beloved, do not be surprised when you have these fiery trials. Why is that? Because you, and, and, and consider it joy. I know it's difficult, but listen, there's a joyful part because you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And also, he says, rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. In other words, you're still waiting for the end. You're still waiting for the end. And what does, does, does Jesus say about those who endure to the end? Verse, four, verse 13. They'll be saved. Folks, they needed this comfort. Everything is about to just fall in on them, or it's going to in, in the years to come. And they needed this. Don't, don't panic. Do people panic during difficult times and crises and when they think this is the end of the world? Sure. And what does Jesus say? Don't panic. The world's going to hate you. But there's something greater that's coming. Right? Jesus is going to return. The kingdom is going to come in its fullest form. All right, let's keep going. Let's read, let's read verse 14. Somebody. Have you ever heard of the abomination of desolation? Where have we heard of it before? Do you know where it comes from? The book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Uh, and where does the abomination of desolation take place in Daniel? The temple. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Some people believe that. Um, so Daniel prophesied that the temple would be defiled. And that its first fulfillment, does anyone know where it happened? When it happened? Yes, say it. The Maccabees. Hello. All of you who listen to my Hanukkah lesson, come on, right? Uh, it's the Maccabees. They talk about it during that intertestament time. There was this abomination of desolation. And what happened? Yeah, the... the uh, um, uh, um, 
Ephenes. Um, yes, that's it. Uh, Antiochus Ephenes. He was a Syrian king, and he established an altar on the altar of God and sacrificed pigs on it to these false gods. It was an abs- and that is what started the whole revolt. And, and how they got the temple back, and, and, and as Paul Harvey says, you know the rest of the story. For those of you who learned about Hanukkah, this is where it all comes from. So when Jesus brings up the abomination of desolation, what do you think he's trying to say? What's the overall picture here? Something is going to defile the temple. There's going to be somebody, something that is going, that, it, that this is going to happen. And the question is, what event? Now, he's already got a sharp person over here. He's already got, got the first pick on this. Uh, maybe it's Caligula. Some think it was Caligula because there were the rumors that he's going to set up a statute. In the, the problem with that is it was rumors. It never, never did happen. Um, some believe it's when Titus came through and he just wrecked the place and he destroyed the temple and that was it. But if you look at the text, you realize the abomination of desolation happens before the destruction. It's something someone does in the temple, right? I think the two best that I've read, and at least this is my opinion, and trust me, much smarter people have different opinions than I do. And, this, and welcome, folks. <laughs> welcome to Mark chapter 13, okay? But the answer is we really don't know for sure. But I think one of the best, in my opinion, is there were the zealots who took over the temple. This was in the winter of 68 and 69. And they took over and they appointed their own high priest and had the, you know, and just made a mockery of the temple rituals. It was, it was really bad. In fact, there, it caused civil war. And the, the blood of the zealots defiled the temple because they had to go in there and they had to fight. Uh, And Josephus talks about it in his book on war. Others believe the abomination of desolation refers to the man of lawlessness that the Apostle Paul talks about. Um, Oh, go back one. Um, No, sorry, that's the one about Zeus um, that they sacrificed to. Okay, so here, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, he says, Let no one deceive you. In any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so called God or object of worship, so that he, look at this, he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Um, so, definitely, this was a scandalous deed. And both warn of the disciples against being deceived by this, what would be considered the Antichrist. But, who is the man of lawlessness? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. It's a a mystery. He even talks about the mystery of lawlessness. Look, that's not important to us. Um, What was important is that the readers knew. And the readers would know, and in fact he tells them, those who are you who are reading this, listen carefully because this is coming, and you'll recognize it. Um, but don't get so caught up in, in some of this. Uh, that's where people get caught up. 
and then they start saying, well, the abomination of, you know, it's the Pope. They'll say, oh, no, it's, it's this president. Or, no, it's, you know, it's this thing. And, and you just hear all of these things. That is the Antichrist. That's the abomination. Listen, Jesus says, look, I'm not even going to give you the name. I'm not even going to tell you when it is. You'll know it. But the rest of you reading years later, don't worry about it. What I want you to know is what to do. Okay? So somebody read for us verses 15 through 23. All right. So Jesus is not weeping over the temple itself, but he does have compassion on the people who are going to be caught up in all of this. I don't know if you caught all of that. But during the Jewish war, um, many people ended up fleeing to the temple fortress. Where's Jesus telling him to go? He says, you go away from the temple. You don't want to go to the temple. If you go to the temple when this happens, he says, it's a death trap. He says, I'm warning you now, this is a death trap. And, and this is also very similar to those, the elect, who were saved during Babylonian siege, which destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And there it says, and in, if any survivors escape, they will be where? On the mountains like doves in the valleys, all of them mourning, each over his iniquity. So the warning that Jesus gives here in verses 19 and 20, it's a pattern. And the pattern comes from Daniel, just as the archangel Michael was sent to them, sent to the elect to tell them, look, this is, this is going to happen. You need to get out of here. Okay? So the temple has been judged. Any reverence that you have as a Jew towards this temple uh, or you believe that it is still under the blessing of God, you're mistaken. It's not. It's been judged. It's, it's going to fall to ruins. Do you think all the Jews listened to Jesus? No. There was another Roman, his, Roman historian by the name of Dio, and he writes... Uh, about this time, and listen to this, this is very vivid. The Jews resisted Titus with more ardor than ever. They were not overcome until a part of the temple has caught fire. All right, they're in there. Then some impelled themselves voluntarily on the swords of the Romans. Others slew each other. Others did away with themselves or leaped into the flames. They all believed, listen to this, they all believed, especially the last, that it was not a disaster but victory, salvation, and happiness to perish together with the temple. Jesus is trying to get them out of that mindset. Don't have this reverence for the temple. It's corrupt. It's going to be destroyed. And these people are dying, waiting, and they're thinking that the Messiah is going to come and save them. But it doesn't happen. And Josephus, he gives some more awful stories in his accounts. He talked about famine, cannibalism, slaughter during the during this roman siege of jerusalem but out of mercy what does it say in verse 20 the days were shortened if if god had not shortened the days of the siege everyone in there would have been destroyed and the siege lasted for five months and we may say well whoa that's a that's a lot but not for a siege that was a relatively short time for a siege. And the credit is given to God. Uh, and he does so 
um, in concern for his elect. This is another repeating word. We're going to see it next week as well, elect. It is a person who is chosen, was chosen by the God of Israel for a particular person. And in terms of the New Testament and the Old Testament, those people were the people of God. In the New Testament, it's terms of the Christian community. These are special objects of God's saving grace. And once again, they're warned. Who are they warned about? False Christs. False prophets. And all these things are going to be happening. And what is he saying? Don't get sucked up. Don't, don't get caught up in all of that. The mark of faithfulness. The mark of faithfulness is not foretelling the future. The mark of faithfulness is enduring in the present. No matter what is thrown at us, and we already saw the chiastic form, and what is in the center of that chiastic form is the persecution of Christians. Now, we're going to really hit on that in, in our sermon this morning. But as we close, let's just close with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come to you. We thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us to be able to come here today without persecution, without worries. Um, Father, we're just thankful, and we know that one day that this may all turn around in a different way. Father, help us to be faithful to you. Help us in times that we go out in our world and we are thrown down and we are looked down upon and our faith is being tested. Father, we pray that it will be, it will be tested as true and loyal to you. That you, oh God, that we love you with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. So Father, we close this time together and we just say a word of thanks as we await your coming and we await the renewal of our world and the renewal of all people. In Christ's name.